Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. The Contrarians is brought to you by Smarks Like Us Clothing and Avnio Films. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter at JamesAlexMattis and at Avnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Yes, this is the main theme from Star Wars Episode 3. Why, you might ask? It's simple. It's the best film in the franchise. Alright, you ready? Yes. Okay. Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. I'm joined, as always, by my buddy Julio. Julio, how are you doing today? I am truly spooked. <laughs> and we just watched a really, really scary movie, even though... Apparently, most of America and most of the world doesn't appreciate it as much as we did. Uh, let me read you some examples. I, I actually, it bothers me how flippant they are <laughs> when talking about this movie. Jackie K. Cooper from JackieKCooper.com. Hey, she says, no thrills on this hill. <laughs> <laughs> and then Paul Arendt from BBC.com, Silent Hill, Nonsenseville, more like... <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> that's like a Hank Hill like rib right there. They just it, it just brought out the comedian and all the critics. I guess so. Uh, well, thankfully, at least somebody was taking it somewhat seriously, even if they didn't get the movie. Jeff Weiss from Deseret News, Salt Lake City, says the truly scary thing about Silent Hill is that it's 127 minutes long, which means it's a good 20 to 30 minutes longer than most of the other similarly awful films inspired by video games. Well, you know, at least he thought about it. He yeah. didn't just make fun of it, but uh, he's he's wrong. I think the movie scared him into not liking it. It's true. He is just yeah. It's it's a long movie by horror standards and by video game movie standards, but it earns its runtime. Yeah, it leaves you kind of rattled at the end. So I, I think he wasn't really aware of what he was talking about. He had prepared himself for ninety minutes of horror, and then those last thirty minutes just drove him over the edge. So yes, today we are here to talk about the 2006 horror classic Silent Hill, as we had mentioned in our previous episode. This is our attempt at being topical and recent and keeping up with the news as the Silent Hills video game cancellation has been all the rage on the underground. Um, even not the underground. It had Guillermo del Toro attached to it, so it, it made some pretty big headlines. This is this is basically our, our shameless attempt at cashing in on, <laughs> <laughs> on some of this. <laughs> on trending topics on Twitter. Yes. So this 2006 film is loosely based on the 1999 video game release of the same name, Silent Hill. Very loosely based. It begins with a delusional girl sleepwalking on what looks to be a a big hill. Reaching like a quarry, it looks like a dangerous drop-off point when her parents manage to save her and she just begins screaming Silent Hill, Silent Hill over and over again as the title hits the screen. So we know we're in for something jarring right off the bat. I was very happy they got that out of the way. Every time that I watch a movie... Whatever genre it might be, I'm always waiting for them to say the title of the movie during the movie, mm-hmm. and they just took care of it five minutes in, so I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. I can just fully focus on the story. Chinatown, Silent Hill. And Chinatown takes its sweet time getting there. Yeah. But Silent Hill was like, listen, there's a lot of ground to cover, <laughs> so <laughs> don't worry about it. So the young girl is named Sharon, played by Jodel Furland of Twilight fame. Her mother, Rose, played by... Radha Mitchell, uh, The Crazies, and which Woody Allen film? Melinda and Melinda. And then Melinda. And Christopher, the father, played by Sean Bean, who's been in about everything. Pretty much. Yeah. If, if Sean Bean is in it, then you know it's good. 
So Sharon has had an issue with sleepwalking recently in a repeatedly screaming Silent Hill, and her mother, Rose, wants to figure out exactly what the hell's going on, so her plan is to take her to Silent Hill to find some answers. Probably not the most conventional of parenting techniques, but a, a good mother. Yeah, it's it's what we would call extreme parenting, and it's not something that everybody can handle. Society, I mean, for all the progress we've made throughout the years, we're still kind of stuck with with some of the traditional views as far as raising children. And the thing is, the world has changed. So children now have different problems than children 50 years ago. You know, now children have demonic possessions and, like, you, you can't just wait for it to pass. It, it's not a phase. Yeah. You have to take her to the haunted town that she's dreaming of. And that's, you know, on the surface, because really... Right from the beginning, what you're dealing with is a movie that's not just about parenting and extreme parenting, harsh parenting, but also about a broken marriage. There's a reason why it's not both parents taking the kid to Silent Hill. It's the mom, because the dad, he, you know, more traditional. He's in the office. He's he's working. He's thinking that this is just something that's going to pass. And there's obviously a riff, a conflict between him and his wife. And she won't take it. She'll just, she'll do what she needs to do. She'll Google Silent Hill. And if you've never done it, you should. <laughs> and then she'll just follow the directions to this crazy town. And he Googles it as well. And it pops up on Ghost Towns of America. And he's quite defiant of uh, her taking the daughter there. You know, it's, um, it's a much more real parenting issue than we would see in like, you know, Three Men and a Baby, or... Yeah, all those movies that sugarcoat what it's like to raise a child. I mean, when you have a child with problems, you have to do extreme things. That's, that's the whole point of the movie. So along the drive, Rose and her daughter pull over to a rest stop to get some gas, and Sharon is asleep in the backseat of the car. Rose notices her drawings have uh, taken on a demonic tone. You would expect, like, sunshine and rainbows from a little child's drawings, but there's a lot of death and blood in there. The girl doesn't seem to know where they came from. This leads to a slight altercation of Sharon and Rose yelling back and forth. When we're introduced to the authoritative figure in the movie... Lori Holden plays the police officer Sybil, the hot cop, if you will, and comes up just to see if everything's all right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to this performance and to the way this character is written. Again, I appreciate what the movie is doing because it's it's become a problem with you know the police, the Good Samaritans taking an interest on stuff that's none of their business. <laughs> so the way this woman has decided to raise her child and to help her child by taking her to this potential ghost town, well, that's her business. But this cop decides that because she sees them kind of arguing outside the car, she's going to take an interest in this situation, and she ends up making things worse. Mm -hmm. So that's point number one. Authority, cops, you know, you need to know your place. That's okay. It's not like she was beating the girl. She was just, just kind of like consoling her. Yeah. She was upset. But number two, what happens with this character is really interesting because... She goes from being somebody that goes by the rules. She watches this weird thing happening and she goes to investigate it and then she's up in Silent Hill with them. But eventually throughout the movie she changes into someone who ends up breaking the rules. <laughs> and that is very satisfying as an audience member to watch. You have this original authority figure that you don't like and then you grow to feel for her and cheer for her at the end so that's really cool Lori Holden of course a contrarian's veteran having been in the 2005 superhero classic the Fantastic Four she was just getting started later. yeah kind of redeems herself here because she's kind of a huge bitch in Fantastic Four I mean she starts <laughs> so Rose goes into the rest stop asking for directions to Silent Hill when she's informed the road don't go there and her credit card's been cancelled by Christopher who just doesn't want the trip to happen at all 
Rose remains ever defiant, says, you know, if you think that's going to stop me, you're wrong, and manages to get away with the gas from the gas station without actually having paid for it, so. Well, you know, if the cop had been paying attention <laughs> to, to the real felony happening there yeah. <laughs> instead of the imagined one, maybe she would have caught her. So Sybil, the police officer, tries to pull over Rose, and Rose takes off because she just has a bad feeling about it, leading into a high-speed chase. And then shit gets kind of weird as there's a little girl trying to cross the street on this bridge that appears to be into Silent Hill. Rose veers off to the left and crashes the car, only to wake up in a completely different dimension, both figuratively and literally, as it's a snowing ash and it's a much different place, and her daughter Sharon's gone. Now, we need to keep in mind that this is uh, this movie from 2006. So that's almost 10 years ago. And, yeah, if you watch the movie right now, you can go like, oh, well, obviously they're in a completely different dimension. Or if you played the video games, which, by the way, I, I came into this movie not knowing anything about the games. Or, or you know, if you watch enough movies, mm-hmm. you could be like, ah, oh, that's obvious that they're in that... But the movie wants to make sure you know what's going on. So for the next 40 minutes, 45 minutes, it's going to make sure that you know they're in a different dimension. That this not this is not the world that we were in before. And you'll see it, but it starts from the beginning. I, I think that maybe some of the reasons why there, there was some backlash towards this movie is because a lot of people that had played the game watched it. They were not patient with it because they were not considering that the movie was not just for them, but for the general public. Yeah. So she loses her daughter, she begins chasing after her, she thinks she sees her repeatedly, she keeps chasing her, chasing her, a siren begins to blare, like a tornado warning siren, and it starts to get darker in Silent Hill, and Rose doesn't really know what the hell's going on, so she just goes into the first building she sees, kind of in the Bowery, and it's really dark, but fortunately she has the most powerful lighter I've ever seen in my life to light the way. It's a torch. (laughs) It is a torch. Uh, She thinks she sees Sharon, she keeps chasing her, and then she turns around to be greeted by these just horrific creatures. What would you call those? I don't know. (laughs) I, I (laughs) I wrote creepy gnomes, but that doesn't do them justice they're like all. flaring up like they're on fire but they're really tiny and they keep screaming and it's it's terrifying to say the least yeah and it's the, it's i think the first time the full set piece where you really see what the movie's going for which is it's a movie that wants to put you inside a video game and that's something that of course does not compare to playing the video game yourself you, once you've removed that element of you having to worry about the controls <laughs> and you can just watch it happen it takes on this new level of, of awesomeness. So you're watching her run and creep around all these dark alleys and this basement and face up these creatures. And I don't know if you noticed, but I was just, I, I, was, I had like an imaginary controller in my hand and I was just like going left to right. It, it's amazing. The visuals are perfect for this kind of experience. So these creatures eventually like dissipate. They kind of evaporate into the air. And this obviously, as it would anyone, has scared the shit out of Rose as she just faints in place. And then it's kind of like, you know, in a video game when it's like the restart. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's what I was thinking of. I wrote, oh, she lost a life. Yeah, and so she restarts in the middle of this building as Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire plays, which is just a great song. She then wanders out into the streets as it's daylight again and immediately comes across this crazy cat woman named Dahlia who... As we said, if this would be remade today, I think Meryl Streep would play the Dahlia role. She looks just like Meryl Streep in Into the Woods. So she says she's looking for her daughter and takes out a locket with a picture of Sharon, and Dahlia begins freaking out, saying, It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, that's my girl. And this obviously leads to Rose like running away in terror. Now, there is a lot of story here. You could maybe even argue 
almost too much story for just one viewing. There's a lot going on and a lot of information that gets parsed out throughout the movie. It, there's too much. There's a lot of stuff that you're, it's not going to make sense until like the last 30 minutes of the movie. And that's okay. Because this movie is not so much about the plot. I mean, it's fine that the plot is there. We're thankful for it. But really, what holds this movie together is the raw emotion mm-hmm. that the movie gets out of you with all these scares, all these, these visual scares and, and the music and everything. So when you see this woman... I mean, there's a part of your brain that registers, oh, she's looking for her kid, and the kid might look just like the kid that this other woman is looking for. But really what gets at you is the way she looks. You know, she is creepy Meryl Streep. Yes. So that's really what sticks with you. Yeah. Rose makes it back to her car, and unfortunately for her, the car is inactive, and it just won't turn over. As she's trying to figure out what the hell's wrong with it, we cut to a shot of uh, Sean Bean, Christopher, He's looking, driving around, trying to trace the tracks here, and he's just having no luck with this. We go back to Silent Hill, as Rose is still trying to get her vehicle to turn over, and the hot cop shows back up and tells her to put her hands on the wheel. This is where the the real tension begins between the two main characters. As this is going on, we go back to Christopher. He finds the bridge into Silent Hill, but it's shut down by the police, and they said no one's been in or out. And this is where it becomes apparent that something something weird's going on. Yeah, I mean, for all of you that haven't figured out that this was an alternate reality, alternate world, then this is where the movie starts taking you by the hand and pulling you in a little bit. I mean, there'll be more, don't worry, but but th- that's where it happens. The cool thing about the Sean Bean character is that he has this whole storyline of his own while all the crazy stuff is going on in Silent Hill proper. And it's really, once you pay attention, it's kind of the heart of the movie. You know, this is a man that's trying to bring his family back together. Going back to the whole thing about a broken marriage, he is trying to find what made his family work once upon a time. He's trying to reconnect with his wife, so to speak. And it's going to be hard. It's a hard journey. But the problem is that piece that would reconnect him is missing. I think that's just a bigger metaphor than that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, guys, I don't want to spoil it, but this is... This is a doomed marriage. <laughs> we go back as Sybil is putting Rose in handcuffs, to which Rose, Rodha Mitchell, with such conviction and just excellent delivery, says, Fuck you, you stupid cop. That's what we were all thinking. <laughs> Sybil begins dragging Rose through town, trying to figure out what's going on. Her uh, radio's not working, the bass won't respond. They see another Silent Hill creature off in the distance, and obviously Sybil doesn't really know what to make of it, and eventually just unloads her weapon on it, killing it. But this allows Rose to escape and just take off running. That moment, that's the beginning of, of uh, Sybil's journey into breaking the rules. Because you notice, this is like the thing that they see, it's hard to describe, but it's basically just legs and a torso mm-hmm. and just bubbles, you know, bubbling. <laughs> and it shoots like vomit out of its chest. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that this thing is anything but a monster from hell. There's no <laughs> way that she could confuse it by any sort of human But creature. she still tells it to slow down. Oh, yeah, she talks it like it's like a regular perp. And then it's not until it, it just oozes some... some I don't know, what do you call it? It's it was not, like it's, acid or something. Right, but it didn't burn her, so it's more like just goo. Tar. Tar. Ooze. Yeah. It oozes ooze. <laughs> but yeah, it's then that she's finally, fuck it, I need to shoot it. And, and then, you know, because she wouldn't shoot a normal person. Yeah. It's like it clicks. Oh, this is a monster, it's okay to do it. Rose escapes and finds the local school and just begins exploring in there, trying to find some clues, see what's going on. We go back to Christopher, who is with a police officer, Officer Gucci, played by Kim Cotez, Tig. For all you Sons of Anarchy fans, he's also legendary for his role in Waterworld as the man who had paper. For for those of you who are over thirty, <laughs> paper. Have you ever seen paper? Look at it. Smell it. 
Again, they kind of make it clear that this is an alternate dimension as they're driving like around Silent Hill, and we get shots that are exactly the same, just of the two different timelines. Only they're yellow, mm-hmm. whereas Silent Hill, where Adam Mitchell and everybody else is, is gray. It's foggy and gray. And then... I, but I understand, because like I said, there's so much to absorb in this movie that they can't afford to be ambiguous, to be confusing about that fact, the fact that there's two different realities going on. Yeah. So no, that's good for them. They made it clear. So we go back to Rose as she's searching the school for you know her daughter. Uh, she comes into the bathroom and comes across a body that's just bound and wrapped in barbed wire. Horrific scene. You know, we're having a lot of fun here talking about this movie, but it, it is really terrifying, truly terrifying. I this was glad I was not watching it by myself. I was very thankful that whenever I needed reassurance that everything was okay, your puppy would jump on my lap and would <laughs> allow me to pet it. It was very comforting because that is, there's some really fucked up shit that you see in this movie. I mean, that body in the in the bathroom stall, it's pretty terrible even before you know what it represents mm-hmm. that you find out later and and that is just the tip of the iceberg because later on we get cockroaches that have faces and like all these other things that are just disgusting and terrifying to look at so the barbed wire body is bound back with the mouth wide open and it has a the wall behind it has written on it i double dog dairy with an arrow pointing down to its mouth rose reaches in and pulls out some sort of clue i'm not sure if it ever is explained exactly what she took out I, I don't think we ever got a shot of it but i think it's it's something that led her to the hotel Oh, okay. And, and then from the hotel it goes on. It's it's worth pointing out, again, that this is really, it recreates the feel of a video game. Like I said, I haven't watched uh, or I haven't played Silent Hill, any of the Silent Hills, but I felt like I was in a game. You know, that, that those games where you are exploring or searching for clues and there's creepy stuff and sometimes the creepy stuff attacks you and sometimes the creepy stuff is just a puzzle that you have to work your way around. Mm-hmm. It was just so exciting to know that I could just experience it without actually having to think about it because Rada Mitchell was going to do the thinking for me. She was the one that was going to have to like reach into that guy's mouth and pull the thing out. It's just a terrifying minefield of sorts. Yes. So Rose goes to leave the bathroom that she's in, and as soon as she steps out, gentlemen wearing nuclear reactor-type gear are searching the building, and they spot her. They come in and try to knock the door down. Fortunately, she has like a giant key ring with about 50 keys on it. She's able to lock the door. They continue to try to kick in the door, but their canary that they have, like the, you know, that you would send into the mine, it starts going crazy, so they know it's time to go. And sure enough, the siren hits. The walls start to melt, and then the barbed wire creature comes to life. So by now, you start gaining the, the lay of the land here, how the rules work. So it's fucked up on one level. And then once the siren goes off, it gets really fucked up. <laughs> That's when the stuff that just looked disgusting and scary comes to life, and then things get a lot worse. Rose runs out of the bathroom in obvious terror as these beetles, these like giant cockroaches, just begin swarming the entire building. They actually devour the searchers that were once after Rose. They make the skin-crawling, flesh-eating beetles in the mummy look very tame. Oh, yeah. No, that was those are the PG-13 version, where like, these are the R-rated. The hard R. Hard R version. They're almost unrated if they had penises. But <laughs> they only have faces, and that's creepy enough. So this is where we get some quick back-and-forth shots as Rose is running away. At the same time, in the alternate dimension... Christopher is in the same school, and we get these shots of them standing in the same places, and Christopher can sense it, though. He's the only one that has, like, the the telekinesis, or, like, the the God-given ability to sense it. He smells her perfume. He that's does. That's what he says, which is, that's a hell of a perfume, or a hell of a sense of smell. Or maybe just a connection, you know? <laughs> that's just, that's true love. Or just denial. <laughs> like, we don't know 
what time period this is, how far in the future, how far in the past this is. Right. Maybe he just he would have said the same thing anywhere. He yeah. just happened to luck out that that was the, the actual place where she was in a different dimension. So we go back to Hell, Silent Hill, and Pyramid Head has reared his head. I don't know why you call it Pyramid Head. I mean, That's I guess I was calling him Imperial Destroyer Head. Because <laughs> he has an Imperial Destroyer on top of his shoulders. Touche. But obviously the most recognizable and legendary character from the Silent Hill franchise, Pyramid Head with his giant fucking sword shows up. He turns his attention to Rose, but fortunately enough, you know, Hot Cop Sybil shows back up to save the day. They try to fight the darkness. They lock themselves in a room, barricading themselves in as Pyramid Head stabs through with his giant sword, cutting a hole along these beetles to get in. Pyramid Head himself reaches in, but Sybil pulls out her gun. She doesn't ask any questions this time. She just oh, no, she's, she's, she's in the right mindset by now. I, I would guess this would be like a boss battle. It, it felt like it. There's like the sword that almost gets him every time, and then the beetles. It's like it's one of those tough bosses where you yeah. not only have the one thing that's attacking you, but it also has like extra things that are attacking you, like the beetles. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. And of course, she doesn't kill him. He just walks away because he'll come back later and it'll be harder, like every good game would make you do. They fight the darkness long enough that the light comes, which is, that, that's just a beautiful metaphor for life, you know? As bad as things seem, the light will always you, come. Yeah, you just have to stick together and, and get through it. And this is also important because they started as enemies, but now these two women are allies. Mm-hmm. They've, they've found common ground and they've realized that they're on the same side. And it, it's important because also you'll notice that the movie, which is like two hours long, it has the two male characters. I mean, Sean Bean, bless his heart, he's trying his best, but he really spends most of the movie chasing dead ends. Yeah. Whereas like the two women, Rada Mitchell and Lori Holden, they're really, they drive the movie. They they actually take action. They have an effect on the, on everything that happens. So it's really, it's empowering. This film really flips the stereotypical action horror gender roles on its ear. Absolutely, like, yes. Because you have the two men in the one dimension that really don't know their ass from a hole in the ground, and then the, these two women in Silent Hill that are just kicking ass and taking names. It is empowering, like you yeah. said. And it's not cheap empowering either, because it's not like they come into the movie kicking ass and taking names. Mm-hmm. It takes them a while to adjust, it takes them a while to learn. Like There's a learning curve uh, for both of them. At first, Rada Mitchell, all she can do is scream and run away. And at first, all that Lori Holden can do is, is point her gun at people and tell them to stop instead of realizing they're monsters. But then, about an hour into the movie, you can sense they're like, fuck it, we're in a horror movie, we yeah. need to actually take action. Blood's been spilled, it's time to retaliate. Yes. We go back to the light dimension, the bright dimension, as it were, as Christopher just has no luck. And he's telling Officer Gucci that he needs the police files. He wants to know exactly what went down in Silent Hill, and he's just telling him, you know, I can't do that for you. And then back in Silent Hill, we get Rose and Sybil walking, searching. They're heading to the hotel. When we get, you know, if this had been nominated for Best Picture, and I understand that it was a, a crowded year, this would have been, I think, the Best Picture clip when they, Sybil turns to Rose and says, they used to say this place is haunted. And Rose <laughs> responds, I think they were right. <laughs> I really hope that they put that in the trailer because <laughs> that, that really sells the movie. So they get to the hotel and they immediately come across Anna, a red-headed young woman who we quickly find out is a part of the human cult that remains in Silent Hill. So Anna's being attacked by Dahlia, you know, just who is looking for answers. Anna is very nicely dressed and, you know, well-kempt, so it's clear that you can sustain human life there. We'll find out eventually the horrifying measures that people have gone to to do that. Yeah, I mean, well, well-dressed and kept, but, you know, by those standards. Yeah. By the standards of Silent Hill. <laughs> yes, exactly. As opposed to Dahlia, who just looks like a, a homeless woman. Yes. Back in the 
real world, Christopher breaks into a government building fairly easily for a place that has government records. You know, there was no alarm or anything, and he just broke out one window. And I think that that comes down to what an excellent piece of casting Sean Bean was. Because it works on two levels. One, it makes you not question these kind of things. Because it's like, it's Sean Bean. It's like Batman. Yeah. You, you, he, how do you do it? Oh, well, he's Batman. How do you do it? It's Sean Bean. He, he, he can break into whatever he wants. He's been in enough movies. He's learned. He has skills. But then the other thing is, anybody who's watched a handful of movies knows that Sean Bean always dies in his movies. Yes. So by casting him in the role of the husband, which is kind of a thankless role, because mm-hmm. like we said, the women really carry this movie... That makes you care by the husband uh, for the husband automatically, because you're just waiting for him to die. You assume that every scene that Sean Bean is in is potentially a dangerous scene where he could find his demise. It keeps you on your toes and it distracts you from well, where the real damage goes. Exactly. Yes. It's 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 good. That was whoever decided to cast Sean Bean on that is a good good job. So yes, we were trying to figure out earlier the clue in the mouth of the barbed wire creature is for room one eleven that they need to get yes. to. Yes. Yeah. So it tells them that they need to get to room one eleven. They're scrambling around looking for it, and there is no room one eleven. There's just a big mural on the wall of this burning ritual, as Anna explains to them how they purify the evil of Silent Hill, which is burning people alive. It's really fucked up. And, and it's not working very well because the evil's <laughs> still there. Rose figures out that this is just, you know, a diversion, so she takes a knife that she has, cuts through it, and sure enough, it's just a canvas, and there, lo and behold, is room 111, as she goes through it, uh, eventually coming across a little girl who's just cowering in a corner, turns around, and it looks just like Sharon. She says, you could be the twin, you know, Alyssa, Dahlia's daughter. She's trying to figure out when Alyssa, or Sharon, we're not sure at this point, just burst into flames. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about not understanding what's going on because, like I said, it's just just focus on the emotion. The emotion of this mother suddenly finding somebody who looks just like the daughter she's looking for, but it's not the daughter she's looking for. From here on, the mom, Rod Mitchell, she's got to be pretty cool about running into monsters. It's She spends the first hour freaking out about it, and from now on, it's very hard to phase her, I mm-hmm. think. And, and that's pretty cool. I mean, the, the character that started the movie wouldn't have been able to do what she does now, which is just grab a knife and slash a picture and just walk through that door without <laughs> thinking twice. There's real character evolution in the middle of the movie. That's great. So darkness, sure enough, comes again, and Anna is trying to help everyone and lead them to the church, the local sanctuary, where they hide and are protected from the darkness. As they get there, you know, Delia's not allowed in. That's part of the reason she was outcast, because her daughter was a witch, Alyssa, as we're beginning to find out more and more. Rose begins asking Delia a series of questions about Alyssa and Sharon and exactly what went down, but the darkness takes over. Pyramid Head shows up as Anna helps Sybil and Rose get into the church. She turns around and Delia gives her the Dio, the wicked eyes, and then Pyramid Head snatches her up, rips her clothes off, and then rips the naked flesh from her body. It's disgusting, horrifying. You will not forget it soon. It'll probably haunt my nightmares for the next couple of weeks until we watch a different movie. But it needed to be done. I'm pretty sure a pretty big portion of the $50 million budget went to that one shot. Yeah, and I'm sure that at least a month or two of just pre-production discussions went into this. Should we do this? Should we go this far? Do Does this movie need a naked woman having her whole skin ripped off by mm-hmm. a monster with an Imperial Destroyer as a head? Dozens of meetings were held with executives at TriStar Pictures to exactly. see if they could get away with it. Will this be the thing that will push us past 
are an into NC-17. I am glad that they stuck to their guns, decided to follow the original vision and just go with it. Because when the dust settles, what you remember are these kind of things. Mm -hmm. You know, you remember a guy with a with an Imperial Destroyer in his head, completely brutalizing a woman in a way that you'd never seen before. I think the creator of Silent Hill realized that it's a crowded market, there's hundreds of horror movies coming out every year, and you need to do something bold if you're going to survive. You're not going to be just another footnote in the horror genre. You have to go big. you got to set yourself apart. Yeah. So Pyramid Head takes this flesh, throws it at the door of the church just as it's closing shut, just enough for some blood to shoot in and get all over Sybil and Rose. It leads the cult, the group of people inside the church. <laughs> the cult. <laughs> they are a cult. I know. Just like you just completely betray yourself <laughs> and your feelings for, for these horrible people. Yeah, they're a very scary group of religious people that look like they haven't showered or you know seen true sunlight, which obviously they haven't in quite a while. They're all delusional and immediately think that Sybil and Rose are witches. The leader of the cult, Christabella, comes in to calm them down and explain to them what's going on in the wickeds of the world and all this. Yeah, we get we get a good chunk of backstory for those of you that care about that kind of stuff. Like I said, it's not that kind of movie for me. If you if you're really interested in the nuts and bolts of what makes this universe work, you're you have a good time here. There's a good solid two three minutes of just exposition explaining. It's, it's akin to when you reach that point in the video game where mm -hmm. you stop and there's like a few screens where there's a character explaining what's going on. There's like a five minute cinematic. Exactly, yeah. but but luckily in the games you have the option of skipping those cinematics, and here. You don't have that option, but that's good, because for most of you, it'll be a chance to catch your breath. Yes. You get to relax a little bit before you get into the next level, which had, is going to be a lot worse. Yeah, you had the just terrifying scare of uh, Pyramid Head, and this is like your chance to like relax, catch your breath, get your heart rate down. Yes. Also, it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this the last time we see Pyramid Head? I believe so. So he gets away scot-free. He, yeah. just, he just did something horrible, probably the worst thing that you know, it might not be the worst thing in the movie, but still, <laughs> pretty bad, and we never see any sort of retribution. Akin to dropping the mic, he just drops his sword and walks <laughs> off stage. <laughs> see you in the next one. There you go. Back to the other dimension, where Christopher is just searching for answers, goes to the orphanage in which they adopted Sharon from, and is asking the sisters there, of course it's like a Catholic orphanage, he's asking them, you know, what about this girl, and they said we can't give any of this information. Officer Gucci shows up, to uh, arrest him, actually, because, you know, he figured out that he broke into this government building. And he sits him down and starts telling him, he's like, look, I know Silent Hill, I've experienced it. We get some character backstory on Officer Gucci as he shows us his palms that are just terribly scarred. Uh, we eventually find out how that happens. But he says, you know, it's a bad place, and how, how would you exp explain what happened? I, I, I would say that this scene is the closest and the most you're going to get as far as Sean Bean getting answers. This is, this is in a way, I mean, we still have a solid 45 minutes of movie left, but this is where Sean Bean's story peaks. Yes. This is, this is the most he's going to accomplish in this movie. Good for him. He, he had to, he's been trying for a while. But I think that after this, because the scene ends with him walking away and telling Gucci, I will come back. <laughs> Nobody buys it. It's like, no, dude, you, we know. You've, you peaked. You, you're out of the movie until the very end. And that's okay, because this is a movie telling you we're done with this. Yeah. From now on, it's really about the women and the other dimension. Gucci's story, again, it's just another cinematic. Yeah. You know, you can just replay it whenever, or you can skip it. It's fine, because really, all that matters is the, the sentiment, the emotion. And the emotion is... This is all pointless. Yeah. Anything that happens on this side of the, of the reality doesn't matter. What matters is on the real Silent Hill. Yeah. With the women. 
Gucci is kind of like the knuckles of this. Like, you know, he, he has a story that kind of adds to it, but you don't necessarily have to pay that much attention to it. Yes. So we go back to the church where Christabella is informing Rose that the demon... When she said the demon, I immediately thought of Wayne Gale saying... <laughs> only love can kill the demon. The demon. She explains to Rose that the demon has Sharon and only she can go and get her. So the cult shows the way to where to go to where this demon is. And she keeps asking them if they're people of faith and if their faith will guide them. She shows her a map of this corridor on a wall. Basically, to get to the demon, you take this elevator down to hell, and then you have to figure out how to maneuver your way through hell. So what she's showing her is the player's guide, or the, the, the strategy guide. Yeah. You know how you used to, back in the good old days, when you play Zelda or Metroid or Donkey Kong, and you had the big books, or just, they just tell you step by step how yeah. you get to the end. That's basically what they show her. The catch is she can't take that with her, mm -hmm. so she has to memorize it. You can't keep pausing and checking, pausing and no, checking. No, no, no. You have to go all the way. She has to be a true gamer. She can't just... So she memorizes the path of how to get to the demon. She begins to make her way onto the elevator when Christabella, who had, for some reason, had the locket with the picture. Yeah, she dropped the locket earlier, and uh, Christabella picked it up and didn't say anything. Oh, okay. And then, ironically enough, she's giving it back to prove that, hey, we're not, we trust you. Yeah. And then when she's giving it back, I guess she actually happens to look at the picture. It the opens locket. up and sees that it's Alyssa or Sharon, the witch, and just begins screaming, witch, witch, witch. Her followers try to take her down and not let her get away. This is where Sybil really comes in and earns her keep, because she knows her fate at this point. So she rescues Rose, throws her in the elevator. Yeah, by now she's not a cop anymore. No. She's, she's really, she's come through to the other side and... And that was the point of her whole journey. Honestly, I thought that was the end of it. She basically sacrifices herself so that Rose can go into the elevator and, and go after her daughter. And she just stays back there to fend off the monsters. And much like in those games where you have a sidekick, but then there comes a point where you have to go on, on your own. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to leave Luigi behind. And Mario is the only one that, that can face Bowser. Same thing. Only here, Luigi gets beaten up <laughs> with lead pipes yes very badly Sybil keeps them all at gunpoint so all the followers are back she points the gun at Christabella and pulls the trigger smiling knowing that it's empty and then just basically you know drops her hands and just allows the beating to come to her and this is the beginning of uh, or I would say part one of uh, the passion of the Sybil <laughs> there will be a part two yeah, you might think that it's only part one because of the way the scene ends yeah. but, but apparently she's more uh, resilient than we thought Rose gets down to basically hell we can call it that at this point she memorized her path, she's running around, and then she runs into a wall of zombie nurses. This is another very terrifying scene in the film. She has a big flashlight that they're drawn to, so she drops it, turns it off, and just begins maneuvering her way through it. It's, it's very ominous. I kind of got a Shaun of the Dead feel, where they pretend to be zombies to make their way through, because she just kind of nurses her way through. But instead of like laughing, I found myself just like sitting on my hands, terrified. It's extremely disturbing, and really what's been lurking underneath this movie is that on top of everything else that we've discussed, it's just really an acid trip of a nightmare for a parent. Mm -hmm. It's it's the worst possible version of that dream where you lose your kid in the in the supermarket and you're looking for it. Only here, the supermarket is full of monsters <laughs> and the cop that was helping you... And crazy people killed. that want to burn them alive. Exactly. This is 
the worst possible thing. So deep down, when you're watching this movie, you recognize that even if you're not a parent, you have families, mm -hmm. and, and you recognize that this is a fear that's all the way inside of you. So halfway through the horde of zombie nurses, one of them becomes aware, and they all have blades on their hands, and they just begin slicing and dicing. Fortunately, due to Rose's Neo-like movements, she's able to avoid all of them. They end up pretty much just killing themselves. She takes off for the door at the end of the corridor, breaks through it, and it just turns to pure light. She's reached the end. Or this so is, we think. I think this is where, like, if you're playing on easy or medium difficulty, this is where the game ends. <laughs> and then it tells you, try again in hard if you want to see the rest of the game and the real <laughs> ending. Because the screen fades to white, and then we literally get a solid five minutes, if not more, of exposition. Yes. Which is like, you wouldn't get it if you were playing on an easier level uh, of difficulty. But here, obviously, this movie is hardcore, so they're playing on, like, Expert++. Plus <laughs> Plus. So you get this footage, it looks like old footage, mm. of what really happened in Silent Hill, and all your questions are answered not that it matters again i think the movie is covering its bases for those people yeah. that are plot obsessed but really what you really care about is what's going to happen now as far as the kid how does it, the emotion is she still going to be able to to rescue the kid i don't care about why these people are fucked up because i already know they're fucked up yeah uh, so for those of you that like the plot there's that for those of you that are connecting to the movie on a more primal level again this is a chance to rest Somewhat, because that, that flashback and that exposition has really fucked up stuff. As, as in, like, the movie hadn't, hadn't explored enough. It leaves no stone unturned. The one thing that was missing from the movie so far was child abuse. Mm -hmm. So it goes into that. <laughs> yeah, if you're sharp enough, you don't need this. Like, you could keep up with the film without this. But, like you said, they want to take its audience by... It's kind of like the Dimensions thing. They realize some people are going to be sharp enough to keep up with it, so we'll just take you by the hand and guide you through it. So basically we find out what the deal is with Alyssa. She was accused of being a witch as a child. She didn't have a father that anyone knew of in the town. She was raped by the janitor, which turned out to be the guy who was like disemboweled by the barbed wire. That's where he came from. Then she needed to be purified, so her mother allowed the church in Christabella to burn her alive. And during the burning, you know, things kind of went awry. She knocked over the giant vat of coals that was burning her, but she was still tra strapped to the steel gurney when Officer Gucci showed up to free her. He grabbed the bars, and that's how he got his hands scarred up. Alyssa lives through this, and then with her witch power creates the two versions of herself. The Alyssa that's evil, and then Sharon, which is everything that's good about her. And she just explains that it's time for retribution, and they need to get to the church because uh, Sybil and Sharon are about to be purified, which we know what that means. And Alyssa puts herself inside of Rose. That, this huge exposition sequence ends with Rose basically absorbing this... Uh, it's not fair to call her demon child, I guess witch child. Uh, she may have never hurt anybody ever, but the town picked on her. It's... Yes, and do you know what? It's Ultimately, it comes down to religion. Mm -hmm. It's... it's uh, a sharp criticism of religion on top of being a movie about a broken marriage and about extreme parenthood and about just how hard it is to raise a child. It's also a movie that puts the mirror in front of a religion and tells you maybe you should stop burning people. Yeah, maybe you should really think about who is holier than thou. Yes. I don't understand. I could swear the janitor was among the crowd when they were burning the girl. <laughs> Which, you know, goes back to that whole thing about how, oh, well, you should forgive everybody. Yeah. So that was, I guess that was their version of, of showing the other cheek. I don't know. Yeah. So we get back to the church, but it's a little too late for poor old Sybil as she is 
burned alive in one of the more horrific scenes I've ever seen in a right. film. Because it was not horrific enough to see her being beaten to a pulp with, yeah. with lead pipes. She Apparently she survived that because she's, damn it if she's not a strong woman. But you know what? Sometimes strong women also fall. I think that the movie, it acknowledges that there's a level of realism underneath all the, all the craziness. And that is that sometimes the good guys die too. Well, she goes out defiant, though. Like Billy oh, Bob, yeah. Like Billy Bob Thornton is Davy Crockett at the end of the Alamo. Just goes out ever defiant. She calls him out on all their bullshit, mm-hmm. and she burns for it. Poor Sharon, though, is just watching this whole thing, realizing this is what's going to happen to her next. When Rose shows up, obviously too late to save Sybil, who's just a smoldering mass at this point. Rose shows up and begins telling the people, the cult of the church, you know, Christabella speaks lies, she knows the truth, there was no apocalypse, there was a world outside of here. She gets up to the altar where Christabella is and then just gets fucking stabbed bad. Yeah, I could see a more cynical viewer saying that, well, that's all it took. All she had to do was tell them what was up. <laughs> but really, that's not that's not as easy as you may think. Mm-hmm. I think the movie's rewarding the fact that Rose has the balls to speak the truth and yeah. to tell people exactly what's going on and tell them they're being stupid followers and tell them that they're basically ghosts that died a long time ago. That's not something that you would see often in real life. So... I think that you're just, we as an audience, we are spoiled by other movies that make it look so easy. Mm-hmm. You're expecting her to come in guns blazing because that's how you're supposed to save the day. But really, in real life, sometimes saving the day, all it requires is being brave enough to speak the truth. And that's what she does here. The power of the word. It prevails. She is stabbed, though, which looks pretty bad. She begins bleeding like heavily, profusely, and the blood runs black. And this is how Alyssa escapes. It's the portal from which she escapes to come back and Christabella, you brought the evil in here. The darkness is in here. Alyssa reforms, becomes, and then the ground gives out. And then the original Alyssa comes up from basically hell. She's in her bed, burnt to shit, comes up with an army of barbed wire ropes with her. And what ensues is just death on all levels. I, I hate to admit it, but it is satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the movie makes you face that dark side of yourself, the darkness inside you, that would enjoy seeing these people dismembered and destroyed in such a thorough way. Because they're evil people. They might be misguided, but in, in the end, you know, they burned a little girl and mm-hmm. they, they've been sacrificing other people for stupid reasons. So there's uh, a lot of enjoyment I got out of that, and I will have to deal with that for the rest of my life. That is not something that any movie will do that. That's a very expertly crafted movie that would do that to you. Christabella, of course, getting the worst of all. She is... All of her limbs are separated by strands of barbed wire, and then a bunch go up inside her from underneath and rip her apart from the inside out. It's... It's brutal, but like you said, it's somewhat satisfying. It's a comeuppance of sorts. Yeah, and and it's the movie basically telling you, this is what you wanted to see. You may not have known it, but this is what you wanted to see. And when it happens, there's a part of you that acknowledges that. And the only people that Alyssa does not kill and disembowel are Sharon, Rose, and her mother Dahlia. So they remain alive. Rose takes her daughter, they embrace, and that's kind of what we've been waiting for the whole time. Like, a mother fighting for her life for her daughter. It's it's kind of touching. She made it through. She takes her to the corner and just comforts her as all this death is going around and says, just close your eyes. Where we get a shot of Alyssa coming back and becoming one again with Sharon. So basically, everything that made Alyssa at one point is back together and whole. That's the last we see of, of, of the nightmare-ish Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. 
And I have to say, then, when uh, uh, the girl opens her eyes again, she seems surprisingly well-adjusted, considering <laughs> everything she's seen. And that just speaks to, again, using the word resilience, how resilient a kid is. Just like the cop. Sybil. Sybil. Just like Sybil, when she was, she survived for so long. And just like her mom, who's survived through the entire movie just by force of will, this girl will go far. Mm-hmm. Because she just went through a hell of a nightmare. And she's okay at the end. She's she's okay. She's not traumatized. She she can talk to her mom. She's dealt with a lot, but she seems all right. Yeah, yeah. You the movie tell you don't underestimate kids. So Rose and Sharon begin to leave Silent Hill. They try to call home. They call to Christopher, and he's at home waiting. Like you know, it looks like he just got out of the shower, and he goes to answer the phone, and he can't understand. It's just a scrambled signal. So he hangs up the phone, and he goes to take a nap on the couch. And we cut back to Rose and Sharon, and they get back home, but they're not home. Nope. They're still stuck in Silent Hill. She's looking at the couch where uh, Christopher's supposed to be sleeping, and he's there, but when we see him, it's all yellow and healthy-looking, kind of, and then when we see her, he's not on the couch, and it's all gray, and if you've been paying attention... I mean, the movie's taking you by the hand and guided you through all this, so if you don't get this part, it's really on you, because the movie's done everything it could to help you. <laughs> uh, they're basically in the same space, but in different realities. That just means that you, sometimes you just can't save a marriage. Sometimes the differences are too much. The, the, some marriages are broken for good. Mm-hmm. And th- that is sad. It is. And the movie, for something that's so terrifying and has so many just like bone-chilling moments, it just leaves you with this feeling of indifference that really turns out to be the most terrifying of all. Yep, absolutely. It, it, part of you wants to wonder, what was it all worth it? What's the point if at the end the whole family is not going to be reunited? But there's a bigger part, a more evolved part that tells you, well, at least the mom is with the girl and that's all that matters. And it shows like the extremes that she would go to, not her father, but her mother would go to for her, that she gave up her life to just be with her daughter. Yes. In this society, sometimes just the traditional model of mother, father, daughter doesn't work. Sometimes it's just going to be mother and daughter. And the dad, well, he should have tried harder earlier. (laughs) can't do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> t-shirts, t-shirts, t-shirts. Hundreds of thousands of wrestling t-shirts all for you to buy. Starring all of your favorite wrestlers. Daniel Bryan, Bret Hart goes to Montreal, some dead guy, the Blackjacks, Mulligan and Lanza, not Wyndham and Bradshaw. Wrestling! SmarksLikeUs.com, 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 selling you wrestling t-shirts. Also available, buttons, stickers, and kitty cats. Meow. <laughs> what? Yeah, it isn't. What? It's no awesome. which one you're talking about. The Van Damme one, JCBD. God, it's such a terrible movie. Have you're you seen it st- recently? Yeah, I own it. It's, it's really bad. I'm going to kick Bison's ass so hard, the next Bison wannabe is going to feel it. <laughs> Alright, you ready? I'm ready. Let's get into some real talk about Silent Hill. Alright, so Silent Hill was released on April 21st, 2006. It had a budget of $50 million and a box office of close to $100 million, so did its part. It is on the list of the top 10 video game films in terms of overall gross. It was at number 9. Do you have any idea what the number 1 is? I am going to say the Mario Brothers movie? No. Oh, I <laughs> I'm just going about popularity of the game. I mean, you would think a Mario Brothers movie would just bank because it's... But it didn't movie. have anyone in it. 
Yeah, Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. Yeah, what? what? <laughs> it's Laura Croft Tomb Raider, the first Tomb Raider movie that came uh, out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess. It was directed by Christopher Gaines, Gans, I don't know, who's known for Brotherhood of the Wolf. Mm. And, and also he has an interpretation of Beauty and the Beast coming out in America this year that stars the amazing Leah Seydoux, so. Who? Emma well, from Blue's oh, Color. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was written by Christopher and Roger Avery, which caught you by surprise there at the end. Yes, that's uh, Roger Avery. He wrote the Bruce Willis section of uh, Pulp Fiction. You could see a lot of influences in this. Absolutely. I think that there were a lot more uh, gore elements in that story before Tarantino <laughs> polished it. It sits at a meager 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. I can totally see the Christopher Walken story. It actually had a flashback that showed you what happened. <laughs> Instead of him telling you how he stuck that, that watch up his ass, you actually saw it happen. It looked like the old-timey grainy film and everything. Yes. 29% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is fairly earned, I would say. I would go with an even 30, but I would do no more, no less for well, this movie. I- some people, I think that what carried it uh, for a lot of people, the reason that people liked it when they did was just the, the visual side of it, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the reviews that I found, even the positive ones, they'll be like, oh, it's kind of shit, but, but it looks great. Just a couple, to as an example, Michael Zimanski from Sci-Fi Weekly says, as a fluke, I took my mom, also named Rose, to the screening. <laughs> Okay. Uh, She doesn't like uh, sci-fi or horror and doesn't even know what a video game is. Yet she ended up really liking it. How weird is that? That's extremely weird. Yeah. I would steer clear. Was that on Rotten Tomatoes? That is on Rotten Tomatoes. That's such a douchey review because it's like the, well, this is what I did for the screening. I have a date, so I took my mom. (laughs) Afterwards, we cuddled. My wife's trapped in an alternate dimension. (laughs) And then Keith Breeze from FilmCritic.com says, The closest you'll get to actually having a nightmare in a movie theater outside of a midnight screening of David Lynch's Razorhead. That's high praise. That is very high praise. Yes, I think Keith Breeze is just easily scared or something. Not that this wasn't really creepy to watch, but come on, I mean, you can't compare with Lynch. You're just... You've seen Eraserhead, right? I actually haven't seen Eraserhead. I've seen other Lynch movies that are just far creepier. But not just creepier, but just they have more to it than yeah. this movie. That's the main problem. The problem is not in the scares. Eraserhead's really creepy. That's what I've, <laughs> I've, I've heard about Eraserhead. I've like, I, I know quite a bit about Eraserhead. I just haven't watched it. Complete sidebar. Did you know David Lynch released an album a few years ago? Oh, it's just things David Lynch likes? I guess, yeah. That's eh. <laughs> <laughs> not as cool if he was singing. <laughs> There's some creepy elements to this movie. and Yeah, it does look pretty good. They, I was reading about that. They filmed like part of the movie in Super 35 film. Like They used that for like the light scenes. And then the dark ones, they used uh, high-definition video cameras as a way to manipulate the light and make the editing easier. Yeah, it looks great. I don't think that the, the way it looks is the problem. It's no. just that there's very little behind it. So yeah, I Julio had never seen this. I owned the DVD. I saw it when I was a freshman in college in theaters. I saw it in uh, at Cinemark in Denton, the, the 359. They have like bats flying around. <laughs> yeah. But, and then I bought it on DVD because I liked it, and then I watched it once again after I bought it, and I hadn't seen it in what is now almost 10 years. And I remember thinking it was cool, and it is not. It has things about it that are cool. I think it would be cool if you just have it play in the background with no sound. Yeah. If it's just as a, a two-hour 
montage of creepy images, that works perfectly. But if you're actually watching it and not doing anything else and trying to follow the story, that's that's where it fails. That's where the problem kicks yes, in. That's where you're just like, what's going on? What? What did they say? Yeah, it, it, it's bad on every level. As you said, you've never played the Silent Hill games. I've played several of them. I remember playing the first one, and I couldn't keep going because it was scaring me so bad. And I was thinking about that while we were watching this. We were also talking about the inherent problem with I want to say every single video game movie, is that no one takes into account that there's a different emotional attachment and reaction to things that you're playing through as opposed to just presenting them. Yeah, there is... It really feels like a movie, for the most part, it feels like a movie made of those cinematics we are making fun of yeah. earlier. And there's, there's a difference. Obviously, the cinematics are nowhere near as exciting as the actual gameplay. Yeah. And that's the problem. But here, you just see in the cinematics, it's like they look really cool, and you can just see stuff happening, but that's it. Like, for example, the part where she has to pull the clue out of the, like, the, the barbed wire monster's mouth, playing that is like ten times more terrifying than watching that, like something like that. And like watching it here, it's just kind of silly. And and even then, that's kind of a, a, a good example of a, of a scene that kind of, kind of works, because... The imagery is so gruesome mm-hmm. that just you can kind of put it in your head of, oh man, that must be really gross. And in a way, you're kind of expecting that thing to move. The biter or right. something like that. But, but there's other stuff. There's long stretches that are just about her exploring the world. And that is really boring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she just, it looks great, but she's just walking around this school and walking around this hotel and walking around this town. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this must be exactly what it looks like in the game. Yeah. Only, I don't it's really not care. Fun. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I'm just, it's like a travelogue of it's, Silent Hill. Don't get me wrong, this is much better than Doom, but it's like in Doom when they did the, you've never seen Doom, have you? No. Like the finale of the movie is it goes to first person mode. So oh, I've like heard about that. The game. Yeah. yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like that, like watching that in a film setting is not as exciting as playing that out. And that, again, it just is something that it seems like that whole idea of making a film based on a video game they have not learned yet. Yeah, there is... Except for Street Fighter. No. (laughs) Street Fighter is better than this movie, I'll tell you, I'll I'll give you that, because it's at least entertaining. This one, it it fails in the entertaining part. It's, It's, they got the atmosphere right, it got the creepiness, but then... They still have that problem that if I'm playing a video game, I don't really care. It's a plus if you have a character that actually has really strong motivations and, and really complex psychology and all that yeah. stuff. That's great if you have it in the game, but if you don't have it, it's not a big deal because you're just playing it. You're actually you know, having fun in a different way. But when you're watching a movie and you have a character like, like Rada Mitchells that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, she is a horrible mother. <laughs> she just kidnaps her own daughter and takes off without consulting with the dad uh, and then takes her into this... Even before we get into the whole alternate dimension business, it's already kind of a creepy, scary, dangerous... She also puts her kid's life in danger with exactly. the police chase. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, the way she... It's, it's insane. Yeah. So, and that's your protagonist. That's who you're supposed to get behind. And then the entire first half hour, 45 minutes, where she's just wandering around looking for her, there's really nothing to her character. She's really just this blank yeah. woman that just runs around scared every time that something happens. It's... I don't... I mean, even by the end of the movie, what was her character arc? What did she learn? Nothing. She just went and she got her kid, but that's it. Two things that always stuck out to me. Why did it only do the restart once, where she, like, restarted and yeah. Johnny Cash was playing? Which, I'm not complaining again. 
I'll probably be playing that song over this right now. And then it's never even hinted at how you get into Silent Hill. It's never explained, like, how you enter, like, the portal to get into Silent Hill. Is it? Uh, no. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say that you have to get into some sort of car accident. Because the cop says that she also, like, she was on her motorcycle yeah. and something happened and she fell. And then she sees the motorcycle on her way out. She's the motorcycle there, so... Uh, if she gets into a car accident too so maybe that's what you need to do you need to lose consciousness as you're entering I don't know <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter anyway because there's a lot for all the explaining they do there's a lot of stuff that goes unexplained and that's fine except that if you're gonna do it that way then just don't bog things down with all this clunky backstory towards the end you know what I mean yeah if you're not if it's gonna be that kind of movie that doesn't really explain things and that's fine because that actually makes it scarier then don't don't waste my time with like five minutes of backstory that that doesn't really that re- any any logical momentum the film has is derailed by that like five minutes of just like explaining exa- everything yeah. that happened. Yeah, like, I mean, I was I was serious. When I, was, I was in the previous section where I was saying that it's really not about the plot; it's about the motion. If anything's going to carry you through this movie, it's just the sheer terror and, and creepiness of the things that are happening. There comes a point where. I mean, they treat this as a big mystery, as if you really care about why there are two versions of the little girl running around. Yeah. and what. But really, nothing they do is going to make much sense. No matter how you explain it, in the end, it's just this really crazy thing that's happening. So. It's a, it just dilutes it, because basically you could have gotten away with like pretending that it's just hell, and they died, and like, yeah. they're there, but they do all this backstory that yeah, it, it just derails all the momentum. Yeah, I mean... I don't know if if there is any. Yeah, I don't know if, if that's how it is in the game, and that's why they felt obligated to, to do it like that. But really... Since the director's strength seems to be on just how he shoots things and how he he sets up, you know, visually uh, the atmosphere and everything, then maybe that's all he should have done. It should have been ninety minutes or eighty minutes of this woman wandering around a creepy town, yeah. fighting monsters, and then she finds her daughter and gets out of there. But somehow they felt the need to overcomplicate things. And that's it, another thing, man. The runtime. I know, like over two hours for this movie. It, that's. Yeah. Unexplainable. There's a, you can't. It doesn't make any sense. Acting. Whew. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty bad. Sean, what the hell, Sean Bean? What know. was it? I understand the benefit for the filmmakers getting Sean Bean because really. <laughs> It tricks you into thinking that his scenes amount to anything. Yeah. If you'd given, if you had a less known actor, you could have had Lachlan Monroe in there. Doing it could, that. yeah, it could have been anyone. <laughs> it could have been just like a cartoon character doing those scenes. It doesn't matter because it, it's like I told you when we're watching it. They really the the Sean Bean storyline is just so they have something to cut to when they need to skip ahead on the on the real story. Yeah. So that's a waste of a of a good actor and just. I just don't understand what he was, why he signed on, what yeah. he had to gain from from you know being in this movie. Laurie Holden as the cop was an interesting choice. Yeah, it, she. I don't want to blame her. I don't even want to blame Rada Mitchell. It, I mean, it's just a, that's some pretty terrible writing they're dealing with. Yeah. So, uh, but again, they did sign up for it. I, I wonder. I, I did when I was watching this, and we when they got to the really really bad dialogue. After the cop and and the, and the mom are together and everything, I, I used was, to say this place is haunted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, do they realize? They have to know, right? They they have to know that this is really bad. Did they know that from the very beginning? Did they sign up for it, saying, "Fuck it, it's, it's a paycheck, it's a video game movie, 
nobody's gonna care. The yeah. people that like the video game are gonna like it. If they don't like it, it's not gonna be because of the dialogue. So the Mark Wahlberg Max Payne strategy. Yeah, it's <laughs> like you know what? I, just just let's just cover rent for a couple months. <laughs> or or even sadder would be that they actually thought that this was gonna be a really good movie. Well, it made a lot of money, double its budget. Right, but that doesn't mean anything. I mean, as far as yeah, that's true. Uh, that argument, so because like we were just talking about earlier, fucking Adam Sandler movies make. Right, I mean, so. it's not like Lori Holden and uh, uh, Rob Mitchell had points on the, you know, it's like they're going to get some, a, a part of the profit or anything. Nah. I, I would imagine, from their point of view, they're not... <laughs> it all just went to Sean Bean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, they're not benefiting from how much money it makes. Really, I would imagine if you're an actor that's in that movie, you just, your benefit is coming across as a great actor in the movie, and there's no way they come across as great actresses in this. Uh, so, did they really... Where they're just like, fuck it, it's worth the money because I need the money mm-hmm. and I, I have to work, which is fine. I mean, that's a, if you're an actor, I would probably do the same thing. But but what worries me is like, what happens if they if it really if they thought it was a good movie? I wonder how how was the press tour? <laughs> Were they actually talking about their character motivations and what attracted them to the it was franchise? Like, uh, and, Mary Louise Parker on the Red Two press tour, where she kept <laughs> saying, "Well, I've never seen the movie, but." <laughs> I think that's how you get out of it. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. <laughs> you have no idea what was left on the cutting room floor. That's the really good stuff. Well, uh, Rod Mitchell and Sean Bean returned for Silent Hill 3D Revelations. Okay, well, that's much like the people that went back to watch Polar 2. That's entirely <laughs> on them. Yeah. If they didn't learn from the first one, unless they signed a contract that, that had them like... I haven't seen it. I was just reading about it, and it it's at a five percent. So if this is twenty nine, I can only imagine how bad that is. It might be more polarizing. It might actually be better because they're just like fuck the story. <laughs> We're going for it. It opens with you actually see a little girl being raped. That's, <laughs> Jesus! It just tells you where they where they stand from the very beginning. <laughs> Uh, one of the main things that I took from this while we're watching it is uh, Officer Gucci, Kim Cotez, or Cotez, I don't know how to pronounce him. Anyway, I really want there to be a movie where him and Ken Marino play brothers, because they look so much alike that, like, I, I would believe they're brothers. Ken Marino, really? Yeah. I was thinking uh, uh, Casey Jones. Oh, because, yeah. The first wide shots, uh, that's what I thought. I thought it was Casey Jones, and then I realized it wasn't. And then when you told me, hey, you know who that is? Peter. Like, yeah, I thought you were going to say Casey Jones, so I was going to tell you, no, it isn't. But, but no, it was somebody else. So, yeah, um, it was hard keeping notes because I just kept tuning out at so many parts of this. But that was the problem because you tune out, and then before you knew it, they were just blabbing exposition. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would go down on my phone to start looking for the reviews, and then suddenly I'm like, oh, shit, they're like, they've been talking for five minutes, and yeah. I don't know what's going on. But but in the end, it boils down to like religion bad, child abuse bad, women uh, good, women good, husbands clueless, <laughs> <laughs> and it's two separate dimensions. <laughs> yeah, they remind that got ridiculous at one point. It's like we get it. I really, if you didn't get it from the very beginning, I just don't understand. I mean, then so many other things in the movie must have confused you. I would really feel bad for someone like who didn't get this trying to watch like Six Sense or something. <laughs> so. 29% accurate, too high, too low? I, I wanted to say too high, but at the same time, it does look great. Uh, you can't take that away from it. If you really, if you mute the movie and you just watch it like that or have it playing background, it's really creepy to look at. And it, it just. It'd be an awesome movie, like, to just have on a big screen on your front porch on Halloween on mute when kids are coming up <laughs> trick or treating and stuff. Scare the kids yeah, away. Yeah, exactly. 
that's accurate. Again, majorly disappointing. It's not like I remembered it being like fucking Terminator Two or something, but at the same time, I remembered having more fun with it. And yeah, no, no, it's it's pretty gross. I wouldn't even watch it again, you know, for fun because it, there's a lot of stuff that I just wouldn't want to see again. Yeah, the, yeah, it's fucking gruesome. Again, like I, unless I'm forgetting something, it just adds to the anomaly that is video game based films. It's just no one can figure out how to fucking do it. Oh, that's the other thing. I wanted to look at my phone while we were watching the movie, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to find. I want to say there has to be at least one good video game movie. Uh, I just can't think of it right now, but it has to be. Uh, no, it's not Street Fighter. <laughs> Street Fighter's awesome. <laughs> or Mortal Kombat. Or uh, Mortal Kombat was on the. It was still like the third highest grossing video game movie ever. The first one. Yeah, and from 95. Yeah. I saw the original Street Fighter in theaters. I did too. Opening day. I have a trading card that they gave <laughs> to everyone for uh, opening day. Uh, well, I, I saw it in Peru, so nothing fancy there. Just... <laughs> Street Fighter? So what was it called? Daywalker? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was called, uh, Where is the Street Fighter? <laughs> I, I've told you that, right? The, uh, that every Leslie Nielsen movie... Is called where is the whatever it is Leslie Nielsen is playing, <laughs> like uh, the Naked Gun series is called. Oh, okay, Airplane was called Where's the Pilot, so then the the Naked Gun series is called Where's the Cop, and then every other movie like uh, he did that that uh, Mel Brooks Dracula parody. Oh, dude, that movie's it's, awesome. Yeah, so it's called like Where's Dracula or Where's the Vampire. Or Our something. former employer loves that movie. Really? Yeah. Really, that's weird. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it kind of raunchy? You know, he always says the schedule, schedule, you know. That thing oh, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I wonder how he dealt with the, the raunchy parts of that, <laughs> just blocked them out of his memory. But yeah, so, yeah, where's the Street Fighter, probably. Where? <laughs> yeah, where's uh, the Van Damme? I don't know when someone's going to get it right, because they've been trying it for over 20 years now. It's, you know, us video game nerds, the thing is always Metal Gear Solid, that's the game that someone can make a fucking awesome movie out of, but the creator, Hideo Kojima, has, like, very strict... Like, if someone's going to make a movie, like, I remember a few years ago, he was optioning it off, like, for a script, and Uwe Boll tried to buy it, and he, <laughs> he immediately pulled it. He was like, no. No, no. kidding. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a smart move. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The problem is that for a video game to work on a big screen, they have to change so much. From so what... much is lost in translation. Yeah, and, but even as a gamer, you might not understand that. You might not appreciate it. I remember, you know, when I watched the Street Fighter movie... I liked it fine because I was a kid, and uh, but my main complaint was just like, hey, it was nothing like the game. Yeah. But but yeah, if you had it just like the game, it doesn't really work anyway. You know, it's just it's just a bunch of people fighting each other, and yeah, you have backstories, but they're very simple and they don't really make sense. So, in a way, it has to deviate. Like I think you could make an awesome Castlevania movie, uh, <laughs> but it can't be like the game. You know, it has to take the very basic core elements of, of the game and then actually write a really cool story around it. But when you do that, you're going to change stuff that's going to make people complain about the game, about the adaptation. In, it's in one of the most it. thankless, like, types of films. Like, because usually it just won't be... Like, the one that has done the most was Tomb Raider and then Prince of Persia. And that's just because they cast, like, A-plus list celebrities in them. Yeah, I watched Prince of Persia. It was not great. It doesn't. Re- it didn't really feel much like Prince of Persia, but I've, I haven't played this specific, because they were doing, what, Sands of Time, I think that was yeah. what it was called? I haven't played that one. You know, the Prince of Persia I played was the one where just in a dungeon trying to find your way up to, the, you know, the surface. And, I mean, that's not going to make a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the next big one on the horizon is Assassin's Creed with... Michael Fassbender. Really? Fassbender is in it? Yeah. That's... 
man, that might be a big bomb. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you know, Timothy Oliphant, they're doing Hitman, they're doing another Hitman without all Timothy Oliphant, right? But he didn't like the want third one. It. Is it? I yeah, don't know. Uh, but that was another one that I mean, I never watched it, but they didn't. I didn't think they did well. Yeah, there has to be one. I'll. I'll I know. I feel like I keep like racking my brain trying to think of it, but yeah, uh, all I'm coming up with is shit. I remember in high school one time, someone arguing. They make good video game based movies, and this kid just goes Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all those are shit. Uh, the Dungeons and Dragons movie might be one of the worst things I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> it has uh, one of the Wayans brothers in it. And he's comic relief for 70% of the movie. And then his last scene right before he gets killed, it gets really serious. <laughs> Dude, the last Street Fighter movie they made with... Um, oh, I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about with uh, Chris Klein. Chris Klein. He has yeah. like the last line of the movie and he's a cop. And like this hot girl walks by him and he turns around and he looks over his shoulder and says, I love this job. <laughs> <laughs> I was just happy that he got work. <laughs> well, we've gotten off the beaten path here. We're not, we haven't talked about Silent Hill for about five minutes, but yeah, uh, that's the thing. You know, the, the running around and stuff—they try to give it the feel of a video game, but that does not translate well to a film-based setting. It's no. just like, yeah. If I wanted to watch Wandering Around just aimlessly, I'd watch Taxi Driver again. But. Yeah. Or a Judd Apatow movie. <laughs> oh God, no shit. Yeah, three hours of nonsense. Maybe they should get John Apatow to do the next Helen Hill movie. <laughs> and it, he'll explore, like, another marriage. It'll be a sequel to This is 40, but this is 50. And Leslie and, Mann will do everything. Yes. She'll, she'll do, like, an Eddie Murphy-type performance where she plays every character. And Paul Rudd will be just the idiot running around <laughs> in the real dimension. Okay, wrapping up here. After our taxi driver episode last week, I went and watched a documentary on uh, John Hinckley Jr., the guy who tried to kill Reagan. Uh-huh. For, Jodie Foster, and it turned out like he lived in L.A. for a summer and just did nothing but go to the theater to watch Taxi Driver over and over again, and that's how he fell in love with Jodie Foster. And he, like, found her phone number when she was at Yale and kept calling her, and, like, this documentary I was watching has, like, recorded conversations with them. So, so I, wait, he actually... Oh, with him, but not recorded conversations of him on the phone with her. Yeah, like, conversations of them talking to each other. Really? Yeah. How did she... How, how did you even record that? I don't know. I think he did, because he was, like, obsessed with her. Oh. And they had, like, a cassette that said like Jody important never erase and like it was fucking creepy his original plan was to kill her and then commit suicide but then he saw the president was in town the day he was so he was gonna go kill him to show how much he loved Jody Foster god it's flawless plan <laughs> it was funny uh, I was visiting a friend uh, a couple days ago and uh, we're driving and I was playing the taxi driver episode for her because she hadn't listened to it and she stopped me, like, I don't know, we're like 10 minutes in, maybe. And she's like, this is funny, but it also makes me really uncomfortable. It's <laughs> like, why? And she's like, I know you don't mean it, but it still makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> That's what we do. Yeah. We'll make some more people uncomfortable with our next episode, which is going to be... Million Dollar Baby. Yeah. Yes. Um, Which is at ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and I genuinely dislike this movie, so this will be very fun for me. I, I have, I have, uh, I have opinions about this movie. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. It's Clint Eastwood, yeah, arguably at the top of his game, depending the, who you talk at to. At the top of his game, you know, I mean, there was a stretch of years where Clint Eastwood, much like Robert De Niro, we're talking about Texas Driver. There's a good stretch of years where Clint Eastwood could do could do no wrong, mm-hmm. and then and then he did. 
was his first misfire? Changeling? No, he did something before Changeling that was just like, eh. Uh, and I like Changeling, and I like uh, the one that's about life after death. Um, Gran Torino? No, no, Gran Torino sucked. What? Yes. Gran Torino is awesome. <laughs> ha, ha, that's not gonna say. No, Gran Torino sucks. There's another one that's Invictus. Uh, I haven't seen Invictus, but there's another one that he did with Matt Damon, where his wife, I think, no, Matt Damon is uh, Contagion. No. <laughs> and Clint Eastwood as Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> no, there's one where uh, Matt Damon's. He's like a psychic, and he come, you know, he talks to dead people. There's a, it starts with that tsunami, I think. And, uh, oh God, um, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of it. Well, that's a Clint Eastwood movie that nobody thinks about. Like, the happening. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> and Clint Eastwood is M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, at some point he just started, you know, missing the the, the hits. Yeah. Uh, but back then it was like he had Mystic River. Million Dollar Baby, and I think right after that he did Flags of Our Fathers and Iwo Jima, Little from Iwo Jima. It was just, he was on fire. Yeah. And for the most part, people really liked him. I'm, I, not, I I'm not for the most part. Million Dollar Baby I have many problems with, so I'm really excited to talk about it. Yes, we, we will talk about them. But that is going to do it for us this time. Never forget, we're on iTunes, The Contrarians, not The Contrarians Podcast, so rate, review, subscribe, SoundCloud, give us a like. Review, you know, share us, do what you can. Uh, you can visit our website. It's wearethecontrarians.com. You can email us if you don't want to talk to us on Twitter. It's uh, wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. And we got anything to plug this week? The Age of Ultron was amazing. No. <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that's it. Okay. Well, agree to disagree. So thanks for listening. That's going to do it for us here on The Contrarians. And next week, Makushla. You're going Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out, be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovniofilms. That's O-V-N-I-O films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created and written by The Contrarians' very own Julio Oliveira. Gangland homicide? And I love this job. Call me Nash. New Year's come early? Yeah, Last Supper. And he serves them their own heads. You just inherited a big problem. Get used to it. Your new roommates spent the last three years of my life chasing around an organization called Shadow Out. Those bodies piled up in the harbor. They were the heads of the ruling crime families of Bangkok, correct? Uh-huh, right? And now they're all dead except for one. His name's Bison. Tracked him through 11 major cities on four continents and never come close, not once. This guy walks through the raindrops. And then he
anybody that's against him is either dead or on their way. Now he's the last man standing. You don't want a ticket to this dance, detective? Of course. It's a front for Chatelau. Bison's bringing crime into the neighborhoods to drive the land value down, and then is buying it back up wholesale. We gotta move on, then. Go ahead and guess. How's aggressive working for you? They're protecting her. Forget to pay the rent? Where is everybody? What orders? Hey, wait a minute, Maya. That's it? Fuck! Everybody out! Go! Go! Hey, you better get out of here. I never saw you. You too, huh? Charlie Nash, Interpol, hold your fire! Give me a fix on the helicopter leaving my location. Nash out.